Everything is fine has returned. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> welcome back to the Everything is Fine podcast. I am your host, Sean Wilson. And I'm your host, Matt Ebersol. And we're and back, baby doll. We're back again from another unprompted <laughs> vacation. Mm-hmm. We were so proud of ourselves at the end of the Game of Thrones episode because... Well, things finally looked like we'd actually get a good recording and schedule. it was a damn good episode, too. It was a damn good episode. We had a good episode. We had a recording schedule laid out. We have ideas on the table. We were going to ask you guys, hey, what's some new things you might want to see us do in, in the coming changes that we want to make to the show? And then everything on the planet decided to impede our progress all throughout October and November. Yeah, it was uh, well, the first weekend that we didn't record. It was the weekend of my senior recital. Because we're both music majors, and we're at the end of our college career, so it's about that time where we have to start putting on our senior recitals. Mine was a few weeks ago. And then pretty much every single weekend after that, we had uh, Halloween weekend, we were really busy. We had my birthday weekend, we were very busy. R.I.P. the Halloween episode we wanted to do. R.I.P. the Halloween episode, yeah. I mean, life just took a very, very... uh, dramatic shift in terms of our schedules and our busyness and unfortunately the show suffered as a result we still have a lot of things we wanted to get to you pr- uh, <clears throat> within these past four weeks that we're still going to do like i know for a fact uh a dnd episode is on the way um, absolutely it is which i will not be here for we're kicking um, out of the studio for a day yes but uh not it has been a good and productive four weeks for us it's just it has not been in the context of this show so we're glad to be back. We're coming back with a vengeance, because today's topic is a pretty good one, I think. We're going to get angry and fired up, and we're going to scream a little bit, and we're going to say things that are probably some hot takes, but it's wonderful. It's also one of the t- one of those topics that's very vague, because obviously we did like Game of Thrones, we did Breaking Bad, we did Airbender. This is more channeling the, the vibe that we had during our Villains episode or stuff like that, yes. where we're taking a broad topic... Looking and at it from multiple it. angles. We have wanted to like shift away from the summary attitude that we seem to have possessed. Plus, we're running out of things to summarize. Yeah, like we don't want this to just be a, oh, hey, these two nerds are going to rattle on about X franchise for two hours. No, we want this to be like, we have good ideas, We ha- or at least we think do, we do. We have good <laughs> ideas, we have good opinions, and we've, like, we've taken it upon ourselves to master the things we enjoy. So we want to share those kind of topics and those those ideas, those takes, those behind-the-scenes processes that maybe someone else would know on the topics we present, which is why we go in-depth in the way we do. Of course, like we said, we want to make some changes around here to, like, oh, less summary, more explanation, and more, like, diatribe-based conversation. We also have some plans for some more whimsical and more fun topics in the future and yeah. some things that might not... Be exactly podcast episodes, but some little events and specials and recordings we want to do. Yeah, look for those a lot over winter break, probably. Yeah, we're going to try some shakes and things up. And we actually promise that after this episode airs this weekend, uh, that this following week, which I know is the holiday, it's Thanksgiving week. Uh, however, we're all going to be on our phones at some point during the holidays. We are actually going to put out a few surveys on the Instagram about like, hey, we want your feedback. Like, is there anything else you'd like us to do? Or, what are some topics you'd want to hear us talk about? What are some ideas that you have? Well, like, would it be cool? Would you guys think like, oh, besides podcasting, maybe we could do something else on the channel? And we're putting a lot of it in your hands because we want your feedback. Because we're making these If you want to be on the show. If you want to be on the show, continue to pester us. We will get to your emails eventually. Yeah. So, Unfortunately, we have a big backlog, but we will get to you. And if it's a good topic, we will make room for you. But enough about housekeeping, because we do have an episode to get to, and I don't want it, but basically the moral of the story is we're back, 
and we hope to continue this regular, regularly scheduled programming uh, in the coming future, in the coming weeks. Regularly scheduled programming until it becomes irregular. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again. Man, it's really kind of astounding how we went those first, like, 13 or 14 weeks during Season 1 without a single interruption in release. Yeah, I think during Season 1 we only went interrupted once. And not even, because there was one week we couldn't record, but we just recorded two the week before. True, we did do that. Because we knew we were going to We had a backlog of recording. Oh, by the way, also, be on the lookout for uh, Oscars coverage coming back soon over the next few weeks. True. Oscar yeah. season is upon us. Oh, yes, it is, baby. But enough. But we're not talking about that today. Yeah. We well, of... we are kind of talking about the Oscars in a, in a vague, distant kind of way. Um, we've realized with a lot of the media that we rapidly consume and a lot of the movies that are coming out and a lot of the franchises that we, are, like, we hold near and dear to our hearts, we've realized that so many of those things are not exactly original properties. No. They're... They're pieces of history. Because screw originality. Yeah, no. Who's she? No. <laughs> there is very there are very little things coming out on the stage, on film, on things like that, that are brand new original ideas. Well, and it's really sad because like I hear everyone always be like, "Oh, we want original projects." Like that's always like the big thing. Like Hollywood never makes anything original, but yet we still throw like our money at all of these projects, and we don't. You don't support any yeah. original things. So it's a matter of like, we're oh, hip- they're we're, we're hypocrites. At this they're point. doing this. Well, it better be good. Here's my money to make sure that happens. Yeah. Like Marvel comes out in the movie, everyone immediately pays for it. Star Wars, everyone immediately pays for it. And we're but not like, we're not bashing thing. on Marvel and Star Wars. No. We both are Marvel and Star Wars fans. You know that. But it's like okay, like you're adapting from comic books. You're adapting from source materials. I mean, mm-hmm. Star Wars four, five, and six were original ideas, but from there it became a universe, and then you just kept adding on to it. And that's why I get really into the Oscars because with the Oscars you start to get a lot of movies that are original creations from directors who know what the hell they're doing. And it's actually really cool to discover all these films that you normally would not have because they don't get massive theatrical releases, the marketing isn't there. A lot of what we deal with are adaptations. And they are taken from previous source material and transformed into a new medium. And with the diehard fans of the source material, you, of course, get people who either love what they do on the screen or on the stage... And you get people who absolutely vehemently hate it and everything mm-hmm. it stands for. Absolutely. In fact, you get some people who are so mad that they lose faith in the original in the original piece of media, which is not fair. I mean, case in point, when I was in middle school, all I wanted was to go see the Percy Jackson movie, the live-action Percy Jackson movie, when it came out in theaters. And now I'm very grateful for the horrible bout of pneumonia I had in seventh grade that prevented me from seeing it in theaters because I would have left the theater a very, very sad child. Um, I yeah. love the Percy Jackson series with all my heart. It was my, it was my, the Percy Jackson books were my, I'm a young adult reader novel. Like that was my fantasy series that I got hyper into in middle school and late elementary school. And I still read those books to this day. Basically anything that Rick Riordan slaps his name on, I put faith in it. Mm-hmm. And guess what? He didn't put, he was not involved with the live action filming of the uh, Percy Jackson the Lightning Thief at all and that's why it's a crime against film in my opinion yeah um, so there are a lot of these horror stories that are out there and I'm sure Sean's going to get into Percy Jackson a lot more in depth absolutely I will but basically what we're talking about today is the art of adapting taking something from one medium whether it's a book a film a play a musical 
a poem, any, anything. A poem. I'm talking about cats. I'd love to um, see. It, 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 I forgot it, about that. Basically, we're ta- we're talking about the art of adapting our favorite examples of how one can do this in a fantastic way, and also our favorite examples of how they completely, utterly shit the bed sometimes. Uh, so that's what we're going to be talking about today, and also how we think people go about approaching a project like this. Because when you talk about adapting. You obviously are not going to be able to create a full-blown 100% copy just because of the art of the fact that book to film, there's a lot of things you can and can't do in both worlds that it's just almost impossible to make a perfect adaptation of anything. There is no better theater than that of the mind, and you are unable to recreate things that a book can describe just simply because there is no technology, there is no exactly. amount of perfect special effects that can recreate that. There's a reason, uh, I, I, I a perfect example of this, and I was very, very pleased with it, the actual adaptation of this. Low, like, it flew under the radar, unless you actually looked for it, but there was a movie that came out, I think it was two years now, uh, an adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft's uh, The Color Out of Space. Mm. And Nick Cage started it. Right. Which, of course, is a turnoff for a lot of people, but... <laughs> but it was it was not a one to one recreation of the short story that hates progress Lovecraft wrote when he was an author, but it did a very good job making you feel the same kind of terror. But the, I use this as my example of like why it's impossible to do one to ones. It was a very good retelling, reimagining of the original story. The original story is basically a meteorite falls to Earth, it lands on a family's farm. And then the strange energy it leaks out corrupts the crops, and it makes things. It makes like the trees turn weird colors, and it infects the family members until they just kind of like become like these out of space horrors, and then everything blows up mm-hmm. because the meteor explodes. Interesting. And it's like it, but like it's it's impossible to tell that kind of dread and fear through film, because cosmic horror, one of my favorite genres of storytelling, is impossible to nick is impossible to dictate. Because it exists off of the fear of the unknown. Yeah. And you cannot adapt a story like that to film or even stage without having access to real life cosmic horror, which as far as we have not as far as we've learned does not exist yet. Yeah. <laughs> so no, yeah. Not. You're not gonna be able to be like, Oh, I'm gonna call up Cthulhu and see if he can make us like a, a cameo <laughs> appearance. No. Like um, we've not found him yet. So we're not gonna get that. And that's why I make the point of, like, sometimes you cannot recreate those things. Mm. Even much more simplistic stories, like, big example I want to bring up, because I know you saw this movie. I don't remember your opinions on it, but uh, I was very excited when they announced Ready Player One. (sighs) That, in my opinion, is not a good adaptation. It's not a good adaptation at all. And Ready Player One, for those of you who have heard of it, I don't need to explain it's one of the greatest love letters to pop culture ever written. It's a great book. It's one of my favorite singular novels of all time. For those of you who've never heard of it, it's basically it's set in the future where real life sucks so much that most of the world's commerce is done on this massive online world that you kind of VR yourself into. And there's this the, the founder of the whole thing called the Oasis dies and leaves the Easter egg of his creation somewhere in the Oasis. And there's this big race by all the people who use it to try and find it for the grand prize, which basically the grand prize is you get to control the Oasis, like the founder did. And it's a love letter to pop culture because it's part video game, part real life simulator, part everything. So it's, it's just basically, imagine if life and video game had a baby, 
That's what this movie's yeah, saying. Yeah, it's it's nuts. It's and great. the book, the book shows you these fantastical scenes. It leaps all over the place with creative properties, and it does a wonderful job of telling a great story about like coming into yourself and feeling confident and. Like, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, it matters what you do with yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's this lovely story, both in, in terms of being a love letter, and in terms of just, like, an inspiring mes message at the end of the day. The movie tries to do that, but they cut out so many of the scenes from the book and have to replace them with much more manageable challenges. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a... there's a, the, the first challenge that the players have to go through, like, the first riddle that people were trying to find where it was, like, where the first part of the puzzle was located led the protagonist to a in-game creation of a one-to-one -one scale of the most difficult Dungeons & Dragons adventure of all time, the Tomb of Horrors, which is essentially a, a, an impossible dungeon, even for the most skilled players in the game. And that was the first task of the entire Easter egg hunt. Mm -hmm. What did the movie do? Let's have them do a, a car race. <laughs> and the egg is hidden somewhere on the track. I just think it was a bad choice. To do. I love Steven Spielberg. I just don't think he was the right director for that movie. He was not the right director for that movie because I, Steven Spielberg is a great director. Like, let's, let's, not, let's not insult him in any way. He no. does not deserve it. He's a great director. It was the wrong project for him. Yeah. You needed a geek of, like... Yep. A, a, a comic store master level to pull that movie off. Steven Spielberg is a nerd, but he is not, he was not that kind of yeah, nerd. I just He's like, I want to be thematic and I want to be like dramatic with the, the storytelling. I don't want to write a love letter. I want to write a story. Yeah. And props to his interpretation. There were actually some good scenes, but it did not capture the book in the way that I think myself and a lot of Die Hard fans wanted it to. It was okay. I thought. I thought it was. Uh, it was a, lot of, a lot of wasted. A lot of, a lot of wasted potential. A lot of wasted. That's, that's the main thing. With I that. also didn't care that they decided to bring it up to like the book was written in the nineties, but I saw properties from the last ten years be referenced. Like for instance, you can in, in the Oasis, people can design their avatar however they want, or they can just make their avatar appear like their favorite video game character. So like in the nineties, you're seeing like Mario, walk around. And that's just someone's avatar, right? But there's a final battle where, like, an army of Oasis users fight off I mean, against the corporation that's trying to take over the Oasis. And I'm seeing, like, Tracer from Overwatch. Yeah. <laughs> and on the front lines. And I'm like, no, you don't need to be here. Like, you shouldn't be in this scene. This was a book from the 90s. Get out. <laughs> You get out of here! Like, that's how I felt watching a lot of those scenes. I was like, I don't need to see references to Fortnite in the background. Yeah. Like, sorry. Like a lot. I said love letter to pop culture. Love letter. The good things. All right. Overwatch is actually a good game. I played it back in the day. But like, it was. It felt over. I felt out of place seeing that there. That's fair. That's fair. But yeah, that's that's a good example of an adaptation. There's just wasted potential. Um. There are sub and the reason why we wanted to bring this topic to light is actually because there is a movie that just came out that we just actually recently watched. That is a adaptation. The that, Eternals. Not, not the Eternals. <laughs> Technically, it is an adaptation. Yeah, but because like, comic books. I don't, I don't want to talk about Eternals. Me neither. Not yet. 
I, I still am processing that movie. But I I have there, processed it. There was another movie that came out that we both saw, and what people were calling an almost impossible adaptation, just because of how difficult it was to bring the story to life, and also because of the numerous failings that came before, and that was Dune, which just came out about a couple weeks ago. Yes. And I gotta say, as someone who has read... I'm still in the process of reading the book. However, I have surpassed the moment where this film ends, because it's only part one. And I had already surpassed it by the time I saw this movie, so it's not like the movie spoiled anything for me. I gotta say, I think they did a really good job. I really do. Oh, it was excellent. Like, they they nailed it. I don't think they could have done it any better. And I think what helped is because, unlike Spielberg, who I think was the wrong director for Ready Player One... I literally do not think there would have been a more perfect choice than Denis Villeneuve for this movie. Because his way of making sci-fi and his way of filming scope and also his love of the novel, I feel like it's just the perfect combination. Yes. And he was the perfect choice. And he made and the movie that's another thing. He was beautiful. a fan of the novel. Mm-hmm. He read the Dune books religiously. Yep. And then he got to make the movie. That's the best part. If you're even remotely considering, like, as an author, hey, I, want, I might want this book to be a movie or a TV show one day, you find a director that knows your work as if they had wrote it themselves. That is the only way to actually do an adaptation, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and uh, granted, we've seen examples of that failing, like Game of Thrones. D&D, <sighs> the directors, were big fans of the books that existed. That existed, yeah. And then they didn't know how to finish it. And they were the only ones to pass George R. R. Martin's test of, like, if you tell me the answer to this question, I'll let you do the show. He had them, he had them figure, he asked, he asked them who, uh, John Snow's parents, uh, John Snow's mom was, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they were the only directors that could tell him that. Mm-hmm. Like, just by guessing off of the books, because he had not read yeah. that scene yet. But no, Denis was the perfect choice. I, I literally do not think there would have been a better pick for yeah. the movie. And they nailed everything. There's a few things, obviously, that they left out that I wish were in there, but if you if you put everything in there, that movie's going to be three and a half hours. Absolutely. I and feel like they made exactly the movie they needed to. Yeah. And like and no, like we said, no film was a one-to-one recreation, but it was very close. I gotta say, when I was reading the book, I tried to stay away from the trailers because I knew I wanted to read this book before I saw the movie because it's just one of those books I've always wanted to read. And I didn't get to finish it because it's a hard read to get through. It is. At the beginning. It's one of the few books that when I started reading it, when I was way too young to probably be reading it, I actually put it down because my brain hurt. The first like 70 to 100 pages are kind of hard to get through because it's a lot of setup and exposition and telling you things. But then once certain things start to happen and like, you know, the plot starts to move forward, you just can't really stop. Um, I knew I wanted to read the book before I got, uh, before I saw the movie. And it was great. I I loved it, and my goodness, the visuals in this film. And, and we're not making this a, a, a review of Dune, but, like, my God. But we gotta talk about it, because it's recent. My God. Like, one oh, yeah. of the most gorgeous films I've ever seen in my life. It was... A, the, a big theme, a very, a very important element of Dune is how dreams work. Mm-hmm. And the dream world, and the visions that Paul sees. And I gotta tell you, that's what it looked like. It looked like a dream. The way they did the cinematography and so many different scenes with playing with audio and playing with fade and color and the just like the shifting mirage of the desert that they're on. Yeah. It was, I, I found myself, movie started, I was all the way back in my seat. And then the more and more the movie went, I found myself, I was like, I realized like two hours into it, 
I was like full on leaning forward, and I didn't remember leaning forward. Yeah. Cause it my and my eyes were glued to the screen because it just was a it was an experience. It was like a trip. It was great. Yeah. Excited for part two, and that's another thing. They knew that this this book there's too much. It's a great it's a great uh, instance of adapting. If you know there's a lot to tell, give yourself room to tell it. Yes. Because they are giving themselves room. They're giving themselves two whole movies. Now, granted, some people abuse that power, looking at you, Twilight, where you take <laughs> you take a book and you're like, let's make it into two movies because money, as opposed to storytelling. So, also Hunger Games did that. Uh, Harry Potter did it, but they did it in a, in a faithful way. Yeah. But, like, you have to know what you're telling and the quantity of what you need to Harry, tell. Harry Potter, which... That's gonna take? <clears throat> Harry Potter, which is a great segment. Harry, uh, Harry Potter and Hunger Games, both great segments. They do that, great, and not. Harry Potter said, all right, there are seven books. The last book contains the most amount of information. We're not going to accurately do this in one movie. We're going to do it in two. Contrary to common belief, <clears throat> it's not the longest book. It's actually, it's actually the, not. It's like the third longest. I know it's definitely not first, because first is Order of the Phoenix. Is Goblet of Fire longer? It's Order of the Phoenix, Goblet of Fire, then Deathly Hallows. Okay, because I, I know no, that... No, no, wait. Uh, it's Order... No, sorry. Order of the Phoenix is actually right below Deathly Hallows. It's uh, Goblet of Fire, Half-Blood Prince, which is oddly long. Uh, then it's the Deathly Hallows. Then it's Order of the Phoenix. No, Order of the Phoenix is the longest, Sean. Are you sure? Yes, I'm Not Order of the Phoenix. Um, I'm positive. It's, or, it's Order of the Phoenix, Goblet of Fire, Deathly Hallows. Poor old story is not the longest book, yeah. but there's the most substance there. And they knew that they wanted to be like, okay, the first movie we could take to get everything set up. Let's get Voldemort the Elder Wand. Let's get some Horcruxes destroyed. Let's get them back going to Hogwarts. Okay, cut to black. Next movie, just a two-hour battle sequence. And honestly, of the, all the places in that book to cut between movie one and movie two, Dobby's death was the perfect breaking. Yeah, no, Dobby's Dobby's death and then immediately cutting to Voldemort. If you're making a movie, wand. if you're making a finale movie that, in, that you're going to split in two, you have to cut it at the hero's lowest point. Yes, I agree. Now, granted, Dune did not do that, but I liked what Dune did because it's not the hero's lowest point. Well, because it's not it's, a finale. But That's it's, the thing. It's almost like the... Well, yeah, it's not the finale. Yeah, I understand that, but like... Dune, without spoiling, Dune cut it at a moment where the plot now is shifting to something else. Yes. Because the whole beginning of the movie is dealing with one thing, it gets resolved, things go to shit, characters have to kind of pick themselves back up, and now at the end of the movie, characters have made decisions that they didn't think they would make, and now they're leading into something else. That's another great way. And I hated people that said, I hated this movie because it didn't have an ending. I could not disagree that's more. The, that's the point of part one. So are you just saying that Fellowship of the Ring is bad now? Because it didn't have an ending? Yeah. Like, both of these movies, I actually find a lot of parallels between the two in the sense that they sort of end at that pivotal moment. Because Fellowship of the Ring ends with Frodo and Sam leaving the Fellowship. The breaking of the Fellowship. Yes. That's the perfect place to end that movie. Agreed. Whereas and Dune, I think, also ended at the perfect place. They're, they're starting a brand new section of their adventure. Exactly. That's the point. We have something to see, to cultivate in part two, when it comes out in three years. Exactly. And Dune was deemed very inadaptable for a while, and so was Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And Dune was actually tried... Dune was attempted to be made in a movie in the 80s. 80... 84... I want to say 86. I could be wrong. It's only like a two-hour movie, and I, and it's I actually not good. have not seen it. I did back 84. in the day... 84, okay. I did back in the day, I remember seeing it once, and I was not impressed. 
I just don't understand what they were thinking. Because after reading the book, I'm like, how on earth did they fit all of this into a two-hour and 17-minute movie? There's no way. There's no way. There's no Our way. Dune was like two and a half, 245. And it was only and the first half of the book. It was the first book. half of the book. <laughs> Barely the first half of the book. Like, it was the first. It, it You'd argue it was like a third. It's not, it's not. There's a lot left. There's a lot left. There's a lot left. <laughs> but I'm okay with it. Part two. If that's how they're going to split it up, I'm okay with it. Oh, I totally am, yeah. And then, go, you know, obviously, like, all these big franchises, but, like, going back to just, like, one-offs that are adapted, I also am really interested in a lot of these movies that are adapted multiple times. Because there are stories that have been given multiple treatments over the years. A movie like Little Women, which I saw the most recent uh, adaptation of it directed by Greta Gerwig. So cool! Seeing a story that has been told numerous amounts of times, given fresh blood, fresh a fresh voice. Really, really cool. Another one would be A Star is Born, which came out a few years ago. That's been done like four times, but what I like about that is each adaptation is playing to the times because this one, very modern music. This the singer is like a stadium country star, and then the next and then Lady Gaga's character is like this up and coming pop singer. Like they change it via the times. The one Barbara Streisand is very different because that was made in the seventies, so it's very much so that kind of tone, keeping the same basic plot beats, but it's just changing with the times. I find that very interesting. So not only are there movies that are adapted once and then it's like cool, there's a lot of stories that are given multiple different goes and i think that's really cool i always enjoy that that's yeah. it's always it's always interesting. i definitely do like seeing how the same property can be taken and looked at in multiple different ways i just it. another good example it it yes. like the, the miniseries of tim curry very different from the movies they made a few years ago with bill skarsgård and all the all the kids from like the stranger things kid was in the first yeah. one like Tumble. those are two completely different uh, are interpretations of that book. Yes. One had the stereotypical 80s horror feel to it because mm -hmm. it was made in that time. And then you see the modern day it's and they are nightmare fuel mm -hmm. because that's this brand of horror for this generation. This generation's horror is all, I'm going to give you another jump scare. Mm -hmm. And then maybe some horrific imagery. Whereas 80s was much different. It was a creeping dread. It was a, mm -hmm. a more campy style of horror. I actually liked... It, the first one they did in 2017, I thought that was really good. Uh, I was. I, I didn't I was, actually care okay. that much for it, Chapter Two. I think they were both. To me personally, uh, subjectively, I was like, okay, these are uh, good movies. But By the, the way, I'm another not another of example of a movie splitting because because the book is only it's one book. Granted, it's, like it's one book, but it's like pages. it's like a thousand pages. But the first half of the book is when they're kids. Second half of the book is when they're adults. Yeah. So I also, find that, I find that cool that they split that up. Good move on both adaptation of films. Uh, part of like making them. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that they needed to cut from that book. Because Stephen King, I love Stephen oh, King. Oh God, the, the, we're talking about the thing that happens halfway through. Yeah, there's just a sh Stephen King likes to put horrific shit in his horror novels, which is like, yeah, yeah it's a point. It's a horror novel. No, no, no. There's a difference between, oh, it's so scary that it's incomprehensible, and why the hell did you write that, man? Like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna ruin the story for all of you. Um, there's a point in the child half of the book where they're it's, like, it's at, you know, at the very end when they defeat Pennywise, the first time, the first time, where they're children, you know, like 12, 13, 14, 15, all, you know, experiencing that lovely period of, of teenage years called puberty. Where everything starts working, and they're like, hey, we just fought a clown demon from outer space. You want to all have sex at the same time? Yeah. I'm not joking, this actually happens in this the book. This happens in the book. Granted, I have not read the book, but I know that this happens. It is 
not okay. Like it's just like they these just take, are they just take turns having sex with them. These are <laughs> minors, like pre pubescent. Thank God minors. they cut that out of the book. Or the, the movie. <laughs> Think should cut it out of the book, Stephen. Um, yeah. But yeah, like there's he and he writes stuff like that all the time in in his novels and it's not good i do want to bring up another important element of adapting and i think this is a good way to maybe uh also harken back to some of the things we've already talked about and that is obviously if you're reading a book we're still talking about book to movie because believe me if we get to musicals that's coming i'm gonna go off matt matt has much more to say than i do but we're going there but for book to movie a big part of making sure the audience is believing in what you're doing and that they're buying in and this might seem very simple in terms of its in terms of its principle, but it really goes a long way. Casting, you got to make sure you cast the right people to play these characters, and a lot of times they nail it. Perfect example. Can you honestly imagine the Harry Potter movies without those three kids? No, because they're perfect. Yeah, their dynamic was perfect. Uh, can you imagine the Harry Potter movies without any of those actors? Exactly. Like, can you imagine Lord of the Rings without Ian McKellen as Gandalf? Or, you know, uh, uh, Andy Serkis' Gollum. Like, you need to get the perfect yes. perfect actors to bring these characters to life. And that's why a lot of these adaptations sometimes don't work. A good example would be the Twilight movies. <laughs> Granted, the script is the problem with those movies. Yeah, I know, the script is bad. But the casting is terrible in I'm gonna, those films. I'm going to also... Because, like, this is also relevant because my girlfriend and a couple of her friends have been watching uh, not the Twilight movies, but uh, Fifty Shades of Grey movies. Oh, God. Which, first off... Twilight, I'm going to say this. I'm going to get flack for it. Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey are two abominations of literature that should not have existed. And here's the problem. One gave birth to the other. Well, yeah, because Fifty Shades of Grey is, is originally Twilight fan fiction. Right? Yes. So the, and then the author just changed the name and the, some of the settings. Yes. So quite literally, yes, Twilight, real thing. Twilight was birthed into existence. And then someone out there was crazy enough that they wanted to write erotic fan fiction... And publish it on the internet for us to accidentally find. And then it got so popular that their fans requested so much more that they simply changed a bunch of the names, changed the settings, stripped away the supernatural elements of it, and it became Fifty Shades of Grey. And then that got three films. I have seen two out of three of the Fifty Shades of Grey movies. Not by choice. Not by choice. I apologize. I have seen two of them, and let me tell you, they are awful. It is just... It's just pornography. That's it. It's just pornography. And it, there's... It, I quite literally watching it... the sec, Watching the second one with a group of people... I sat up halfway through the movie... Jokingly predicted the back half of it... Yeah. And I was 90% right... And I was being sarcastic. <laughs> That's a problem. That's a huge problem. But anyways... Those were adaptations from each other that didn't need to exist, and then they made them into movies. Yeah. <laughs> a crime. But Twi- you're right on Twilight, though. Twilight by itself. Even getting rid of Fifty Shades of Grey. Twilight by itself did not need that many movies. It did not need that much stuff. Granted, there was so much wrong with that production, much more than just the source material. It's a shame, because na- just now, Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson are finally breaking free of the yes. Twilight... Uh, shadow that's it's really moving cool. over their entire career because now Kristen Stewart 
is playing Princess Diana in a movie that I believe is going to get her an Oscar nomination. Yes. And Robert will. Pattinson is playing Batman. Batman. Like, what? They let him be <sighs> Batman, and honestly, I am so excited to see that. Mm-hmm. He was He's going to be great in the Batman. He was excellent in The Lighthouse. Yes. Can it, we talk it, about that? You, and Which, if you also saw the indie movie Good Time. I did uh, not. Good but. movie. It was directed by the Safdie brothers, and it was Robert Pattinson's... <laughs> Apparently, it was one of the movies that Matt Reeves saw Robert Pattinson in that made him go like, okay, this guy could be Batman. Because he was great in that movie. Yeah. And I have seen that movie. Which, like, granted, those aren't adaptations, but we're just stressing the point on these actors. It's also really funny because, like, if you go back and look at, um, uh, oh, God, Anna, Anna Kendrick's, um, God, blank. Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart, sorry. Anna Kendrick is also in those movies. Anna though. Kendrick is also in those movies. <laughs> you know, I can look at Kristen so Stewart's Twitter. Malick, by the way. She, which is weird. <laughs> she forgot that she was in Twilight. Yeah. How do you forget that you were in a movie? I mean, maybe she was, like, brainwashed. I, would, I, would, I mean, I, I, imagine, I imagine that if I was on the Twilight set, I, good, my brain would try and archive actors. those. It's just those characters. They just didn't, they didn't fit those characters. You know, it's, really, <laughs> it's another reason why I think Dune is so good. The one imagine, that just came out. Because, honestly, the casting in that movie is great. Imagine disassociating so hard that you forgot you did something. But it was a movie. Movies take, like, yeah. two years to film. Yeah. Now, I would... I would bring up another adaptation that I've heard a lot of shit about, but I can't relate because I have not seen a single movie what is that? nor read a single book. But I know Connor has a lot of strong opinions on it. That's the Aragon one. I never read the Aragon books. I tried, and I just didn't get through them. Cause I, cause but Connor, I, I, that's like his favorite book of all time. I tried. I didn't get through them, but I did. Like I eventually absorbed the story just by like listening and reading things about them. And I know how it ends. I know a lot of things. I just never actually sat down and committed to each of the books. I will say that the movie is god-awful. The 80s movie, or 90s movie, whatever it came out. Not good at all. Um, it was just bad. Everything. There's nothing really to say about it. It, was okay. just, it wasn't good. And granted, I don't have source material knowledge to the best of my abilities, so I can't mm-hmm. even accurately combat it. There's so much I love about Aragon that was pitched me and the stuff I remember reading as a kid. If I had the time and mental strength, I'd go back and circle and actually deep read them. Yeah. But I just have what I've absorbed, and that's it. Yeah, I totally agree. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, there's there's just so many other examples that, like, we could talk about. I just, like, sometimes I just haven't read the book of yeah. these. Like, I can't really comment. I, if, I you will... wanna, if you want to talk about Percy Jackson now, you can. Percy Jackson, okay, there's, before I get to Percy Jackson, I two, two points. We kind of skimmed over one of them, but I want to bring up another one. Because uh, I know I'm going to get flagged for it and talk about it. Hunger Games... Divergence and uh, the Maze Runner, I consider to be the tr- the the holy trinity of you tried your best, <laughs> like because here's the problem. So I have I have had the ability in my lifetime. I have read all of the Hunger Games novels. I have too. I have read, uh, I've read the Maze Runner trilogy. Didn't read a single one of those. No, actually, no, wait, I lied. I read the first two. I didn't read the third one because I didn't care. Uh, and then I've read all of the Divergence. Oh, God, really? Yes. I didn't read any of those. Here's the problem, right? Hunger Games is is a better novel than a movie. I mean, let's be real. Like, 95% of the time, the book is better than the Ninety-five percent of the time, that's yes. always like the main thing. You are the, correct. The book is always going to be better. You are correct. You can always have more, and it's stuff like that. I mean, the only, one of the actual before you, I'll let you get back. One of the examples that I actually remember everyone saying the movie actually might have been better was David Fincher's adaptation of Gone Girl, 
Everyone I said heard that. Everyone I heard like that. some. The book was very polarizing, but the movie was like unanimously across the board. Like, good job, man. That was awesome. Like, I've seen the movie. Haven't read the book. The movie's great. Yeah. But like, that's what. That's an example where I'm like, ah, maybe that's a little different. But like, for the most part, the book is usually considered to be better, almost all the time. Yes. But no, um, my Back point. This, though, my sorry. point about Hunger Games. Hunger Games had some really cool stuff in its pages. It had some really good storylines that it cut out, and had some really good like focusing points about like some allegories for society and its collapse, and it made the wartime stuff feel really good for the third movie. The movies just kind of felt a little lifeless and a little strung out, and it played way too much on the the star-crossed lovers story. Which I'm gonna be real with you, Peta is not. Uh, no one should be in love with Peta. I'm sorry, he just sucks. There's nothing good about this character. He's just kind of a beta male in every way. And then he, that's it. I have nothing good to say about this human being. But there are probably... Like, in the books, you feel some things. Like, Peter actually has a decent story arc in the books. And mm -hmm. you actually learn to like him by the end of the trilogy. Yeah. In the movies, I didn't care about him start to finish. I was like, this is just... I don't care. There's no character arc for you. There's deaths of important characters that happens in the book, and I care more about their deaths in the on the book. It's just they felt they they just the world the world of Pan Am is a grim world, right? But the movies just feel boringly grim. The book actually had stakes and some pressure. Genuinely think that the only movie that I've seen more than one time is the first one. I saw Catching Fire. And both Mockingjays only once. But I've seen the first one at least two or three times. Honestly, I couldn't agree more, first of all. They just... It, it has no life to it. It's, it's just, just so bland. bland. And I know I'm going to maybe get flack for this. Because, like, oh, it's a teen novel. What did you expect? But, like, if you really wanted these movies to capture the vicious nature of the actual Hunger Games in the book that was portrayed by Suzanne Collins. You didn't get it. You need to make this movie rated R. Yes. You need to see because some the gore, opening, some blood. The opening scene where the Hunger Games begin and people are running toward the uh, the cornucopia thing where there's all those weapons and all the food and everything and people just start dying. It might be one of the worst edited action sequences I've ever seen. Oh, it's awful. It's just shaky it's cam just nonsense. Shaky cam. Because they want to obscure the uh, the violence being shown because they want to keep it PG thirteen. I would not be surprised if they cr if like the credits rolled for that film, and they yeah. said special camera work <laughs> contributed by Michael J. Fox. That's why when I like, was that's why a, a good example. Sorry, of a, that's why a good example of a movie where like you probably want to be PG thirteen, but they went R for the sake of making it good. And like is when they were adapting Old Man Logan into Logan, they knew. Yes. The only way to really tell this story is to make it rated R. With the Hunger Games, I understand you're not going to sell as many tickets, but like if you wanted a true and true adaptation that would make, make true fans R. happy, make it rated R. You either make it rated R, like, or you say suck it up and tr and just at least show us more gruesomeness to the actual Hunger and Games. And you said you said earlier like, oh, I know they're teen novels. They're teen novels, but they're like fifteen and on teen novels. Yeah. All right. Plus, yeah. My mom really liked those books. Like adults were adults enjoying these were books. reading them. Like you, you <coughs> if it's a okay, come on. There are fifteen-year-old kids out there that have gotten to the theater to see an R-rated movie. Come on, yeah. a fifteen-year-old can process an R-rated movie just fine. Mm -hmm. They they should have been fatal. There should have been gore. There should have been a lot more disturbing kind of like bluntness about those movies. 
We didn't get it. Instead, we got bland, lifeless, horrible camera work. No one believed anyone was injured. And then people just died. Yep. I will continue on. I'll say another one, the Divergent. The first movie was not that bad. The second movie was all over the place. And then the third movie lost every semblance. But here's the thing, though. I can genuinely say, haven't read a book of that series, haven't seen any of the movies. I will say this. I read this. I read the books, and I'm an, I, I've never seen world building go down the toilet faster. In the, <laughs> in the books. In the <laughs> books. The, I think the books are not good. I think the first one's really good. And then the second one's not good. And then the third one is a master class in how to fail at writing a plot twist. Well, didn't they... Like, screw up the movie so bad that wasn't the fourth one a TV movie? Yeah. That's embarrassing. Yeah. Like, like that's not good at all. The problem with... The Hunger the, Games for Dummies. The, they, they should have never <laughs> even adapted it because it's just so crazy of a project on its own existence as a book. It's not good. The whole... Basically, the whole twist of the series is like, oh, like, it's in the future, of course. It's a dystopian future, of, of course, because it's a young adult novel. Of course. And... You're sorted into, like, when you go of age, you're sorted into a different, like, guild in the city based off of, like, a test you take. Mm -hmm. And there are some people who are called divergent that, like, oh, they get multiple different results. Like, you're only supposed to get one result, but if you get multiple results, it means you're a free thinker and you're deemed dangerous by society. Lo and behold, our main character, who has no personality, is divergent. And she gets put into, like, the... She's like, even though I have, like, I could go anywhere in the city, I'm going to choose the reckless and edgy goth parkour master guild so I can actually feel like I'm making a difference with my life. And it's just, like, it's all over the place. But the first movie's kind of good because you find out that the guild that focuses on intelligence is trying to take over the city, and they're using Divergence to do it. Hmm. And it's actually neat. It's really cool. It's got some good allegories for corruption in society and why we place worth on titles and it's actually neat and then the second book neat. the second book is after the villains victory in the first book which also I like it when the villains win spoiler alert for Divergent yeah yeah oops the the, the, the bad guys actually get away with it for once um, the second movie is our heroes on the run after the guilds have pretty, been, like, pretty much been destroyed but then it starts to lose its mind because you realize Divergence isn't exactly the good thing but it's also a bad thing and there's you actually made you it see the point a big mess. it's a mess and then by the third film you learn that the last city which they think like oh like they're the last city on a, on a, a world that can't support infrastructure turns out it was an experiment the entire time and when America went down the toilet in like 200 years from now a bunch of cities were cordoned off and told that everything else was destroyed so their city is just one of many experiments and they failed and turns out the real cause all along was to have the divergence run the society and limit those who weren't why for what purpose what do you mean like the world building went down the toilet because once you learn it's just really a thought experiment made by dystopian america you don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. Everything was for nothing. Yep. Now, another adaptation thing we should probably mention is the fact that every Stephen King book under the sun has been adapted. Now, granted, I have not read a lot of Stephen King. Ah, yes, the dark cinematic universe. But, like, a lot of these movies, like, some people might not even know that they're Stephen King books. No. Because of just the volume of stuff <clears throat> that he's written, like The Shining, Stephen King. Oh, it's a, but that's a classic. Shawshank, that's Stephen King. Yeah. Green Mile, that's Stephen King. Like, it, it, Stand By Me, Stephen King. It's kind of nuts that people just don't even realize that it's him. But all these movies are great. 
I think they're really good. I every single film you you listed, I would say, is a, is a required viewing for film. Oh, films. Shawshank is ridiculous. Shawshank, The Shining, The Green Mile, they're all. Shawshank leads me into two things because Shawshank took a very small novella and turned it into a very. It's a two and a half hour movie. It definitely expanded on some things. There, there are the two extremes with adaptations. There's shot for shot remake, do it exactly as the person did it before, just now with either better technology or different actors, whatever. Or there's the let's change a lot about this thing. Yes. So a shot for shot remake uh, thing that I was thinking would be oh, um, Gus Van Sant when he did a remake of Psycho in the '90s, that is literally just 1960s Psycho, shot for shot. For no reason. Another one would probably be the live-action Lion King they did a few years ago. Oh, that's a good segue, though. So, okay. Well, well, hold on. Let me, let me, let me, so that's, that's, that's an example of shot-for-shot shot remakes. However, there's a lot of things that take certain books or true events, and they change a lot. And the example I wanted to talk about, and why I really don't care if they change a lot, the movie I want to talk about is The Social Network. Which I know Sean has a very big just go for. go give your speech. So, the Social Network is <laughs> actually Christ. it's based not only on true events, but there actually is a book that Aaron Sorkin read called The Accidental Billionaires, and a lot of the book, a lot of the the movie is inaccurate because Aaron Sorkin realized, along with a lot of other people, he realized that you know you probably shouldn't try to make it exactly accurate because the story might not be actually that interesting. So he changed it up and spiced it up for the sake of story and for the sake of making it entertaining. Same thing with Amadeus is a great example. A lot of inaccuracies. So many inaccuracies, but such a fun movie. But I don't care because the movie is so, so good that it's like, okay, yeah, you're adapting it, but that's where the whole thing, you're basing it on true events or inspired by true events. Yes. There's a difference. And if you admit that it's not one-to-one, that gives you liberties to play with it. Exactly. I will say, I'll, 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 to, to end my young adult novel rant thing... Are we talking about Percy Jackson now? Well, no. Uh, well, I, I, here's the thing. I'll say this. I'll say this, and then you said something I want to capitalize on, though. But, like, point is, Divergent, bad book series, shouldn't have gotten a movie series. Hunger Games, okay movie series, better books. You just didn't... You should have just made them older. And then The Maze Runner, the first book movie was actually really good. And then the second one was okay, and then I stopped caring about everything after that. Mm-hmm. That's just me, but they're, uh, my, Grace loves them, and Gra- Grace loves them a lot. So, like, they're her young adult novel that she hyperfixated on. Like, like we all chose one. Don't, don't act like you didn't. Yeah. But that was her fixation, and she likes them, and she likes those movies. They're not my favorite, but they're good. The first one was one, the first movie was one-to-one, almost. Mm-hmm. And that was very good. It was a very good adaptation. Was it my preferred movie? No, but I'm not going to disregard the success in the adaptation process. Another thing that I wanted to say is like the Percy Jackson thing. There is no way that you were not making those a TV show, which I am beyond excited. The fact that Disney has decided to bring Rick Riordan in to direct a TV show version of the original Percy Jackson and the Olympians five book series. I am... Beyond excited to see how good that's going to be. Because Ryordan is a master at, at, at mythological-based writing. He's a master class in storytelling. He's phenomenal. And I will still read anything he cranks out to this day. I am 21 years old. Um, and I am still reading his books. But 
there there's so much in those novels to get used to. There's no way you're not making that a, like a a five season show. Each book is a season. No way. Yeah, especially no, I could, no, I the later books. But the 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 movie itself immediately the first thing out of the gate that ruins it is they're 16 years old in high school. And you might be wondering why is that such a big deal? Well, here's why it's a big deal. He's 12 in the first book. And why is that important? There's this big doomsday prophecy that a child of one of the three most powerful Olympian gods is going to either destroy the world or save it on their 16th birthday. Why are they 16 in the first movie? You can't go anywhere after that. Congratulations. You shot yourself in the foot on day one. Yep. And then they tried to make the second movie... And they cut out a lot of scenes out of the Sea of Monsters that actually made you care about characters more, made the movie flow better. It was bad. Was also, they, they ruined they Tyson as a character. Percy has a half-brother who's a Cyclops. His name is Tyson. And Tyson is essentially... Tyson is the same age as him, right? He's like 13. Mm -hmm. But Tyson acts like he's six <laughs> because Cyclops age differently. Mm -hmm. So a 13-year-old Cyclops is basically a six-year-old kid. No, they made Tyson in this in the movie kind of a badass, and that's not okay. Like, um, imagine, imagine a like grungy badass dark take on Beaker from the Muppets. You don't want to see that. I would just for comedy purposes, but that's the point. It's a joke at that point. Yeah, you can't. Do you can't give the badass treatment to some characters. Tyson is one of them. Tyson is just a large child, and they gave him a leather jacket and wild rocker hair, and made him fluent in English. So just not good. Not good at all. <laughs> not my Tyson. Um, but yeah, there's that. That's my like, point. Is Percy Jackson now that it has its proper adaptation in the works with Riordan working on it. Which is another thing. I've said it, I said it earlier. If you're making an adaptation into film, or or stage, or musical, anything, you get the original creator involved, if they want to be. Riordan being a director for this series is the best thing that could happen to it. Yeah. But to capitalize on the thing you said earlier is a nice transition. You mentioned live action Lion King. Yes, I did. We've talked about book to film for the last hour. I want to talk about film to film, and there is no better example of pure and utter destruction than the second coming of the Disney Renaissance we're currently in. And when I mean second coming of the Renaissance, I don't mean in a good way. I want you to look me in the eyes, Matt, or if, if, or if our dear listeners, I want you to look at yourself in a mirror, and I want you to try and convince yourself, and I want you to say with a straight face... That there is a single live adaptation that has come out in the past 10 years from Disney that is above 5 stars on a scale of 1 to 10. I want you to try and convince yourself of that, and when you realize that you can't, not you're even, welcome. Not even just that, because I agree that that's important to make the movie good. But I want to ask the listeners, and also you, is there any single time, any... Where if you if someone says to you, hey, do you want to watch X movie? And it happens to be one of these Disney movies that they have an animated version of and they also made a live action. How many times out of a hundred 
are you going to pick the live action one? Not once. Like, in any... I totally agree. In any sort of situation, if anyone's like, hey, do you want to watch... I don't know. Beauty and the Beast. Do you want to watch Beauty and the Beast? Sure. You will never hear the question, which one? You'll hear, sure. You'll turn on the animated 1991 <laughs> classic. And then and you're going to enjoy it. it. That will be it. Now, same thing with The Lion King. Same thing with Aladdin. Now same here's thing the with thing. Dumbo. Same I've, thing with uh, Jungle Book. Same thing with all of them. I will tell you this, though. Mulan. Hello. By and large. What was that? By Yeah, God. <laughs> by and large, the live action remakes suck in comparison to the originals. And that's... A problem because like Disney is really good at what they do, but apparently Disney is really good at doing everything but Disney. Like Disney can actually take some like like look back in the day. They they their big break was a, a, a animated version of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and it's a Disney classic. They can take a fairy tale and make make a fantastic film out of it. They can take stories and make fantastic adaptations of it. Yeah. Apparently, they can't just take their own work and redo it. Like, yeah. Because Snow White, there's been a lot of live action. Because there was that, like, Huntsman movie. And yeah, like which that was other wreck. ones. Cinderella has been done an a million absurd times. amount of times. We get it. She's abused by her family, and then she finds a hot guy. We've all know, we all know what that story you is like, or we can relate to it way, in some way, shape, or form. I will stand by the fact that the best version of Cinderella I've ever seen is in Into the Woods. But we're going to get to Into the Woods in about, you know, 20 minutes. Yeah, so. 20 minutes, yeah. Um, but... Just like, really, like, who in their right mind would ever prefer? If, if you do, that's great. If you enjoy these movies, I'm happy for you. I'm sorry, but like, I just don't understand anybody who would prefer the 2019 Lion King over the 1994 Lion King. And I honestly now, think the reason why a lot of people are hating on these movies is not just because they're bad, because they are, but I think another reason is because of the recency. Because a Cinderella live-action remake, that movie came out in the 50s. You can get away with that. A Peter Pan live action. They, they tried doing that. Granted, it was bad, but at least people were getting excited. I was like, "Oh, Peter Pan! That's exciting because we That's haven't had a, we, haven't, we haven't had a Disney made Peter Pan movie in a very long time." Same thing with Jungle Book or all this stuff. The Lion King, though, no, that came out in the '90s. It's still a classic. What's the point? It's arguably everyone loved it. it yeah, <laughs> and and we talked about this. Apparently not you though. It's pretty low on your list. Okay, I mean, I still like the Lion King, and I can acknowledge its status is probably the king of the Renaissance. Oh yeah, but like it's the peak of animation. It's the peak of animation for the Renaissance. Renaissance. But the problem is just like you have something that is undeniably a one of the best animated films in the last century, and you made the ugliest live action air quotes version yeah. of it it's so soulless and bad and there's so many so bad creatures soulless is such a good word Sean soulless it's it's, soulless. it's it's like watching an ai reconstruct it yeah. it's so not, it's not, good. Good. It's not good there's not a single good acting choice made ah, i lied um Timon and Pumbaa oh uh Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen were Timon and Pumbaa Billy Eichner he was yeah. good as Timon. Yeah. Billy, Seth Rogen is Seth Rogen. Yeah, I mean, it, it was... Eh, I mean... <sighs> and Newsflash, I'm sorry. Beyonce should not have been in this movie. It, no. It's hard to... First of all, it, they made him photorealistic. Like, they look like real animals. Ugh. But here's the thing about animation. is Animation, it allows you to do things that you wouldn't be able to capture in the real world. Yes. So, taking these animals... And making them animated, you're allowed to almost make their faces act human-like and show human-like emotions. Like when Simba watches his father, spoiler alert, when he watches his father get murdered right in front of him, 
he screams and you see the terror and the sadness and the despair in his face. In the movie, the live action movie... You don't get any of that. All you see is a lion cub opening his mouth and yelling, and yelling no. If you've been to the zoo, you've seen a lion open its mouth, now try and put anguish behind that. You can't do it. It's, it's, it didn't work. And then, and then they have the gall to keep making these because they've already made Beauty and the Beast, they've already made Aladdin, they've already made Mulan, they've already made Lion King. And they've, they've announced greenlit projects. Little Mermaid. They have... Greenlit Pinocchio. Yeah. I don't want to see that. I think I'm they're, sorry. Aren't they making a Hercules too? Or at least it's in development. I heard a rumor It's in like it. It's in like development. And there's also a rumor about a live action... Uh, a live action... Photo real. I don't know if it's photo. It's not going to be photorealistic. Or I, it but might what? be of of Robin Hood. There's a oh rumor about God. a Robin Hood film. Oh, which why? I'm going to say this Robin well, Hood. They have tried doing Robin Hood every single decade. I will say this though, the Disney Fox based Robin Hood is one of my it's favorite good. old Disney films. Yes, I love that film. It's I not watched super that a lot. For me, but it's it's enjoyable. It's a classic yeah. for me. You don't need to touch it. Get well, away. they've made a bunch... They made the Kevin Costner Robin Hood. They made yeah. the Russell Crowe Robin Hood. They made the recent one with Taron Edgerton that I heard was dog shit. Yeah. Like, they just... <laughs> they were just... They just keep making this story. Same thing with Cinderella. Same thing with Jungle Book. I don't like, care anymore. Like, I... Like, Pinocchio, I, too. Pinocchio. There's a lot of Pinocchio movies in development right now. Because Disney's making one. But also, Del Toro is making one. There's two Pinocchio why movies. Why is Del Toro made. making one? I don't know. But he has better things to do. Yeah, he has way better things to do. But I was like, I, I, one thing I want to like reference from the Renaissance. I can't remember the name of the of the the writer that that said the quote, but there is a rule that they they stuck to in the process of making the Renaissance films, and that was because there there all of them were musical theater. They yeah. were all musicals. Think about that. They were a series of a decade of musicals that were made with animation skill. And the golden rule of musical theater that they stuck this, to... This is Howard Ashman. Howard Ashman. Right. The golden rule that Howard Ashman stuck to was, for a musical, characters talk until they cannot, and when they cannot talk anymore, they begin to sing. And when they sing, when they, they sing until they cannot sing anymore, in which they dance. Yeah, when emotions keep building, they go from talking to singing to dancing. That's and the rule. it's really easy to watch a musical version of an animation. The perfect example of that is because probably Under the Sea. That's like the yes, prototype. People don't sing their emotions in real life. Life is not a musical. You're not going to walk down the street and then you're going to be late to work because someone's so happy they had to dance in the middle of the street. That's not real life. But it's really easy to see a whole school of fish stop what they're doing to play choral instruments to, to explain how great it is to live in the ocean to a mermaid. It's really easy to see that musical scene because you're already watching something that cannot possibly happen in real life. Like, your, your disbelief is suspended so much because that of the, you're... Because I, of the medium that the film's in. The yeah, you're accepting the fact that, oh yeah, the, the, the hand-drawn fish with a Jamaican accent... Can play the xylophone. Or this giant blue genie is creating yeah, a bunch this, of these illusions. This arcane primordial being capable of manipulating the fabric of reality is going to sing a vaudevillian performance to explain the rules on which he operates. I'm okay with this. Yeah. Like, that makes sense. The live action variants, no, like I said, no real human being stops what they're doing to sing about how happy or how sad or what they dream about. Like, they don't stop and do that. So when I see Emma Watson twirling around the countryside in a bright blue dress, singing about how there's so much more out there than this provincial life, you don't buy it. I don't buy it. Also, Will they, Smith as a genie as well. Here's okay, great <laughs> thing I want to talk about. 
You, okay. What, <laughs> what, I'm sorry, I had to collect myself. What you might not notice about the original Aladdin, I'm talking Robin Williams' legendary performance as... 1992. The original legendary performance of Robin Williams as the genie. That song was not supposed to sound like the way we got it. Mm-hmm. That song, that whole movie was rewritten like three times. But the genie song was supposed to be a lot more influenced by the music of the culture. Why is it vaudevillian? Because Robin, they, they, they said, oh, they got Robin Williams to be the genie. Robin Williams, a master performer, a master vocal talentist, a master impressionist. They said, wait, we're not going to have Robin Williams stick to the Arabic music choice. <laughs> We're going to let Robin Williams, who is an improviser at his best, we're just going to give him the music and have him sing it however he wants. And then when he decided to do impressions and different style choices in the recording, they orchestrated it around his impressions. He was not a musician, but he was a skilled comedian and actor and vocalist. And that's why the genie has this vaudevillian performance, this vaudevillian feel to him. So what happened? So so fast forward to a couple years ago, they make Aladdin again. Okay, sure. Here's the thing. You got Will Smith. You want to know what Will Smith did before he was an actor? He was a rapper. He was a rapper. You want to know what would have been really cool? If they did the same thing they did with Robin Williams for the genie's performance. Oh, he's a rapper by trade? He's a, he's a, he's a actual musician and a showman? Let's have the genie's song tailored to his talents. Tailored to his talents. And here's the thing. Him singing That's it in the movie point. is uh, he's doing his best cuz he has he has some big shoes to fill with Robin Williams. Oh, an impossible shoes to yeah. fill. Yeah. And he does his best to give the vaudevillian genie performance and I feel bad for him because like he did a great job but you're going to look at that and say, like, "Yeah, you did great, but you're not Robin Williams." And that's a terrible thing to tell to anyone. But if you if you somehow if you somehow took enough drugs and drank enough alcohol to make it to the end of the movie and you listened to the end credits, what do you hear? You hear a hip-hop version of the genie's song play over the credits. And it's so good. I'm not even being ironic. The end credit it's version... It's Will Smith in his element. So he's literally... It's gonna be good. He's rapping. He's adding in extra verses. He's giving a funk to it. And it is so good. I'm not even the hugest fan of, of Will Smith's music. But, like, I would have much rather have seen a hip-hop version that he actually performed and they kept in the end credits in the actual scene because I would have believed it more. Mm-hmm. And maybe that would have changed how I viewed the genie for the rest of the film. Why were you making these choices? Just what are these choices? You, and you, and just the music alone feels really bad too across all these movies. Yeah. I'm gonna because they 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 are, I'm gonna go back to Beauty and the Beast, right? Mm-hmm. I think that Beauty and the Beast is the best of the live action recreations, and I don't mean that in a good way. I mean that in a you got a C plus where everyone else got a D minus. I, I like one of them more. I'll let you finish your argument. Though. And like whatever you say, it's you're probably valid. But like yeah. In my opinion, Beauty and the Beast is the best of them. I think that it's actually got some good. In terms ports. of the Renaissance ones, yes. In terms of the Renaissance ones, yes. It's better than Lion King. It's better than Aladdin. It's better than Mulan. So yes. I will give you that. Mulan's the worst, hands down. I personally think that, despite what, despite the fact that maybe they didn't like you know stretch the envelope that much, I did actually enjoy. 
the Jungle Book remake they did. I thought it was pretty good. Yes, because... And I also liked the Cinderella remake they did. I thought that was also pretty well I didn't care about the Cinderella one, but, like, the thing is, with the, I will give you this Jungle Book one before I go back to uh, Beauty and the Beast. The Jungle Book felt okay, mainly because they let the actors play their characters how they wanted them to. Yeah. Like, I actually kind of liked Tom Hanks' as Baloo. Uh, Bill Murray. Bill Murray, not Tom Hanks, sorry. I'm tired. Um, Christopher Walken as King Christopher Louis. Walken as yeah. King Louis was weird, but it worked. I mean, like, how do you replace Louis Prima? But, like... You try. You try. Louis Prima was an actual jazz musician. He was a legend. Christopher Walken? No. But you know what? Why not? Uh, it was... It was. It had some heart to it. It just kind of failed in every other character and characteristic. But back to Beauty and the Beast. Emma Watson can actually sing. You wouldn't know it by watching this movie, though. Because they auto-tune her. And you can tell. There's several scenes Absolutely. where you can tell that she sang a more natural pitch, but the sound is robotic. Like, there's no way a human being made that note. They midied her. I can't believe they midied Emma Watson. She's not that bad of a singer. Yeah, I mean, she's not like, you know... She's not a virtuoso, yeah. but they midied her. They auto-tuned some pitches, and they corrected some off-key notes, but they did it in a way that the editing was so obviously midied, it just hurts. And it's just not, it's not good. There's also heavy auto-tune midi on the Beast songs. Yeah. He good. doesn't sound like an organic being when he sings. <laughs> he sounds like a robot, and it's uncomfortable. And keep in mind, guys, this is the one that Sean calls the good one. Yeah, I, this is the good one, and I'm gonna tear it to shreds. It just wasn't good. I think that actually this one had probably some of the best visuals out of all of them. Like, they actually did a pretty good recreation of the Beast Castle. I think the Beast looked pretty good for a live-action one-to-one. That wasn't bad. The, the effects on the snow looked weird, but eh. The wolf scene was a little choppy at points, but it, it got the point across. Yeah. I didn't like how artificial the town looked. Yeah. Yada yada. But here's the thing. Here's the problem. The Beast had heavy auto-tune on his music, right? Emma Watson had horrible auto-tune on her music, right? Who did they get to play Gaston and LeFou? Enlighten me, Matt. It was uh, in the live action? Yeah. Luke Evans and Josh Gad. And what are they famous for? Musical theater. Musical theater. There is not a drop of auto-tune at all on their voices during the Gaston number, which I'm going to say this... I didn't think the Gaston song sequence could get better from the original. It's pretty good. I lied. It is better. I will say this. I th- I lo- now there's I love the original Gaston sequence because it's just so comical how much of a douchebag he is. But the actual theater performance in the live action one is really good for no reason. I was a lad, I had four and they're both Broadway actors, and they let them do whatever they want with their song. If you go and listen to it, Josh Gad as LeFou literally just riffs for the last 45 seconds of the song. And he adds character traits to LeFou. He adds life to him. He adds depth to him. He has a straight up moment where he, like, in song, like, tries to spell out Gaston's name, realizes he's illiterate, and says, oh shit, I've never had to spell it out loud before because I'm illiterate. We didn't know that about LeFou. We didn't need to know that about LeFou. But guess what? It's so comically well done mm-hmm. that it adds to the scene. I agree. Also, they, 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 they both of them hit wonderful notes. They both hit a, a clear quality and sound. 
they parade around. There's a whole sword fighting scene in the middle of the song. And no one drops pitch. No one drops performance. No one drops the character. It's really good. Why didn't you let anyone else do that? <laughs> you can't give you can't give this one scene. Yeah, just do whatever you want. We'll catch it on camera. And we got this gold mine, and then everyone else you midied the shit out of. Yeah. Why? You immediately <laughs> devalue the rest of the movie. Like, wait a minute, where where would this come from? You're so angry at the end of it. Yep. I agree. See you musicals. Speaking of musicals, well, one last thing I want to make about the Disney live-action remakes and the fucking hellscape that they are. The fact they added a song to every movie. Oh, yeah, no, I don't like that. I don't like that. You don't need to add more songs. I think that Jasmine's song in Aladdin is the worst thing I've ever seen in terms of... Speechless? Yeah, speechless. I get it. You wanted to empower Jasmine. You wouldn't know why... Here's the thing. You didn't need to empower Jasmine. You wouldn't know why you didn't need to empower Jasmine. If you watch the original, she's the feistiest woman ever. She knows she doesn't need no man. I'm going to do you one better, actually. I'm going to do you one better. What's that? You're talking about how these live-action movies take the the music directly from the animated classic and add one more. Is that pretty much your, your gripe? Yes, because they're all useless. You want to know what my gripe is? What's that? There's actual Broadway musicals of all of these movies <laughs> with new music written for them. Everyone loves them, and they're like, ew, no, don't like that. Let's write. Let's have Beyonce write a song instead. Yes. Literally, Beauty and the Beast. Okay, I'm not joking. No, go off. You, I was, you know much more about I this. was in this show my senior year. I played the Beast. Yeah. Minor this flex. This stick of a man Minor flex. was the beast minor flex like, um i know the show very very well and i can honestly say two songs that were added to the show that being home which is a soul that bell has when bell has when she gets to the castle and if i can't love her which is the song the closest act one and it's beast's sort of like big lament song where he's like oh god what was my life i'm never gonna find love again yada yada, yada. those songs are honestly better than any of the songs from the movie in my opinion they're written so well and the movie, the, the the movie they made, the live action movie, they're like, nah. Like, why? They're right there. If you want to add music, pick the music that's already been added yeah. but and instead, everyone loves. Instead, we got the Beast's new song, which was, Lion, uh, what was it called? Evermore. Which Evermore. I actually didn't mind, I but it was I, auto-tuned Yeah, to oh, it, was, it sounded awful. I will say, though, if you looked at it as sheet music and you didn't MIDI it. Yeah, it's a fine song. It is Arguably the only acceptably good song out of all of the Renaissance, uh, not the Renaissance, it, out of all the new live action movies. But here's the thing: it does the exact. It, granted, it's in a different spot in the show. Yes. Because that is that song, the new one that they added in the movie Evermore, takes place after right Belle after goes Belle back goes back home and she and he gives her the mirror, and he's about to. He basically she's like, you know, I'm going to be this. If I can't love her, happens in the middle of the musical. Um, this is the other one I'm talking about now, where it happens after he scares Belle away, he sings this song, and then that's what forces him to be like, no, this is the person I need to, um, make sure that, you know, I, I'm gonna make an effort, I'm gonna try to be a better person, and then he goes, and then the wolf scene happens. So it's in the middle. Yes. But they both kind of serve the same purpose. They're both kind of like the beast saying, I was an asshole, here's why, here's what I need to do to be better, she's pretty cool, I should, you know, try to get with that. That's pretty much the gist of both songs. Yes. Why would you write a new one that does the same thing? It's when the other one is better, 
does the same thing and happens in a place in the musical where you can honestly use some music. Yeah. Because the because that part of the movie where they added it, you it doesn't have make sense. Beauty and the Beast, the time, the tales all this time. Then you have the mob song right after, and you're squeezing a song right in the middle. In the live action movie, there's not a lot of music that happens right in the middle. Why not add a song right there? Which also there's another irony added to Evermore. There, the whole chorus of Evermore goes like, now I know she'll never leave me. Guess what she just did? She went home. <laughs> now I know she'll never leave me even though she runs away. She literally is gone, dude. You let her leave? She's not coming back. Yeah. The only reason she went back is because Gaston's a dickhead and stole the mirror. But yeah, that's my gripe. There's that's the music is, there's There's a bunch of other music at your disposal written by Alan Menken. That is there, Ooh, ready so to be bad. used. Even with The Lion King, there's a lot of new songs out in John and Tim Why? Rice okay. wrote I'm, for the musical I'm, that they didn't use. I'm just going to say it. Like, There's a lot of good stuff in The Lion King musical that just wasn't used. It should have been used. But can I just fucking... I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. It makes me so uncontrollably angry. Why the hell is Can You Feel the Love t Tonight Happened sung in the middle of the day? Can You Feel the Love this afternoon? Also, no one needs spirit. <laughs> Like, Spirit is the worst song. No. Spirit is literally... You know what Spirit is? There's like, hey, we got Beyonce in this movie. Can we get a little bit of that? Whoa, 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 whoa. Spirit, like, that you're famous Spirit, for? Spirit was only written to try to win an original song Oscar. And no, even, Spirit was only... Spirit was only written because they wanted the stereotypical Beyonce, I'm gonna mix also, a million trills with my voice. Also, something really weird about that song. I don't want to get too high strong and dizzy, so we should probably move on in a second. But Soon, yeah. With... This song. I'm not angry enough yet. Is it Beyonce singing or is it Nala singing? We don't know. We don't know. Because Na Beyonce voices Nala Beyonce in the movie. Beyonce voices Nala, but <laughs> Nala is not shown during the spirit song. So does that mean that, like, it's a matter of, oh, this is Nala serenading the audience? Or is this Beyonce yeah. being Beyonce? It's just, it's, it's a complete disaster. Wait, if, if you're gonna, okay, if you're gonna have a musical, if you're gonna make a musical, whether you're adapting it, whether you're redoing it, whether you're on the stage, off, doesn't matter. If you're doing a musical, you do not ever, ever in any production have a character sing while they're not on stage. And if they're singing and they're off stage, it's because they're in the other room and the other characters are listening to them sing. Phil Collins. I okay. We said this in the Disney in the Disney Renaissance thing we did in season one. I love Tarzan because Tarzan is a good film and it has a good soundtrack. They're not good together. Phil Collins is excellent. They're great songs, Phil. They should not have been in this movie. Like, <laughs> sorry, I I will never not lose my shit at the soundtrack for Tarzan. But you want to know why I enjoy it so much? I'm not watching Tarzan while I'm listening to it. I won't. It's literally our intro for that episode is the whole take it away Phil bit. I'm only there for Phil. Like, or I'm there for Tarzan and I'm watching with the volume up. I'm not there for both. Like, I agree. It just hurts. It hurts me so much. Oh, yeah. My biggest gripe is that there's literally music there for you. And then the Mulan live-action movie... That was even, just so bad. They cut off, the music. They, they literally said, hey, you know these wonderful songs that an entire generation of children love? It was the second-to-last film in the Renaissance. You know, like those classic hits like A Girl Worth Fighting For and the tonal shift that it presents at the end of that. 
the great moment where they find the ruined village. Or how about I'll make a man out of you, this wonderful training montage that literally is the greatest workout song of all time. Um, fuck that. Like, <laughs> get well, out. No, the thing, that, the thing that pissed me off about Mulan, one last thing about this, is... It's not even Mulan. Well, no, no, that. But they said, okay, we're going to make Mulan, no music from the movie. It's just going to be like, you know, a, a grounded, you know... You know, no singing allowed movie. A traditional but, piece. But the score for Mulan, a lot of the main themes, you hear it in the background, clear as day. Ba, 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 ba. It's reflection playing in the background. So are you committing to not using the music or are you? Like, what are you doing? Because you say you're not including the music from the Disney film, and yet you're literally... T like having winks and nods toward it throughout the whole movie because in the score you hear reflection you hear honor to us all it's just like oh my lord it's just ridiculous but, but can I just can, can I get into musicals now please yeah we'll do the musicals and then we're gonna we're, we're actually gonna try and keep this one a little bit shorter because okay? oh my goodness I need to talk about musicals yes and I think I know the two musicals we need to scream about I want to bring up some ones, though, because right okay, now we're first. actually getting this sort of big flood of movie musical adaptations because we're getting a West Side Story movie coming out soon. We already got In the Heights. We're getting Tick, Tick, Boom. We're getting a... We're getting, we got Dear Evan Hansen, which was a absolute... <laughs> no. Absolute disaster. Why did we need a second one five years later? It's just... it. it I don't know. But it, it really does go to show that, again, people just don't know what people want because the thing... Okay, can I ask you a question? Sure, Matt. What was one thing, in terms of musicals, like adaptations, if you will, or, you know, a musical being released to the general public, that everyone lost their mind over? It was Hamilton, when Disney Plus released the live recording of the show on the Broadway stage with the original cast. It was Hamilton. It was Hamilton. People lost their minds because it was an accessible way to watch the show and it was great. You know what it wasn't? A movie. It was not a movie. It was a It, it was, was a, a filmed recording of the show. Which is what I think we need more of. If yes. you want my honest opinion. Because as much as people like, oh, Dear Evan Hansen, I love Dear Evan Hansen. You know what would have been great? Film Dear Evan Hansen when it was on Broadway with Ben Platt and all them. Get a recording of it. And, and then sell that. Make that a DVD. One of my favorite DVDs of all time, I have the original cast of Into the Woods on DVD. I watched that so many more times than the live-action movie they made in 2014. The 2014 was not good. Not good at all. The whole point of Into the Woods is it's light and airy and Sweeney, it's got comedy. Sweeney Todd, another example. The DVD with Angela Lansbury, fantastic recording. It the is. The movie is not horrible, but it's inferior to that. It is inferior to that. I will say, though, live-action Sweeney Todd was not that bad. I thought that was okay. It was an interesting take on I it. I just, I, I have some grapes with it because Sweeney Todd is one of those musicals I adore and there are some things where I just think the movie missed the mark on. I have but a, it's an interesting adaptation. The live act, not the live action, the, well, the, the, the live recording is a god is, 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 a, is a godly piece of, of, of film production. But like, I have a guilty pleasure watching Johnny Depp's version. Like, it's yeah. like, this is not what it could be, but it's pretty damn good. You know, like, there's some lovable actors in there. I think Johnny Depp does the best performance he could have given. Also, I I will say, it's really good when you actually get a, a moment in, like, that film. I get chills every time Depp performs the At Last My Arm Is Complete Again mm -hmm. line. 
Because I personally, my friends, yep. I think that that line that Sweeney says once he finally picks up his razors again, like at last my arm is complete again, I think that is one of the greatest line deliveries in theater. Like, and I'm not talking like Johnny Depp's delivery of it. I'm just talking that line is one of the most powerful one lines in theater. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. so good. It's like the beginning of the end. Her sums up the character so well. No, I agree. But that's the thing. I just think that people get so... People think film... I'm going to go on a bit of a soapbox rant here. No, hit it. I did I did earlier. You go. People think that film is the superior art form. People think that everything needs to be a movie. No. Oh, there's an animated movie people like? Make it a movie. Oh, there's a, a TV show that people like? Let's make it movies. Oh, there's a musical people like? Make it a movie. Oh, there's this? Make it a movie. This? Make it a movie. Film, in my opinion, is actually one of the most constrained art forms there is. Because with TV, you have a lot more time. With animation, you have a lot more freedom with what you want to show. With a book, you have the entire reader's animation at your disposal. With the stage, you have the suspension of disbelief you can add, plus the live theater element is something unparalleled. With film, you have a very short amount of time to tell a story that has a beginning, a middle, and end. And it's not like it's that forgiving of an art form where you can get away with a lot of things. Film is not forgiving in the sense of you can't really... There's, there, it's, it's much harder to tell a story with a movie than it is with a book. Or it is the TV show. So the fact that everyone always thinks everything needs to be a film is mind-boggling mind -boggling to me because that shouldn't be the case. What you should be doing is you should be trying to figure out what is the best version of this story. Perfect example, Dear Evan Hansen. If Dear Evan Hansen is that good on stage, which honestly, I saw it on stage, I have my gripes with the actual plot that they're telling. The plot is awful. But on stage... It served it really well. The way it was directed, the actors, the theater, the songs, they served it well, and they did the best version of that they could do. Why the hell would you go ahead and now make that a movie five years later? Why? It makes no sense to me. And I have not seen the movie. I refuse to, but I've heard nothing but shit against it, and honestly, I'm happy. Because maybe this is going to open up people's eyes to be like, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't just be rushing to make these musicals into movies. And genuinely, goes back to casting, why would you cast Ben Platt as Gavin Hansen? Ben Platt is 30 goddamn years old. Because he is 30 goddamn years old. <laughs> and the thing is, with Tobey Maguire in Spider-Man, this is like the other one, it's like, oh, he's too old. Okay, I, I see that. But at least so is everyone else around him. Yeah. At least, yeah, Tobey Maguire was like in his late 20s when he was supposed to be playing a high school student. But like, so was James Franco, so was Kirsten Dunn, so were all the other classmates. So you could at least buy into it. Yeah, they're playing young, but at least they're all playing And, like, young. even Toby doesn't ben even look Platt that is, bad. Ben Platt He doesn't look that bad. Ben Platt looks a lot worse. Neither does Garfield, either, because some people Platt like Ben Platt looks a lot worse because Ben Platt is the only one that is that old. Everyone else is actually, like, within uh, a high, high school range. It's, it's, it's just bad. But there are two movie musicals. Are... And you know that I hate these because I'm not bringing up Phantom, by the way. And I could go on forever about that because that movie's bad. Yeah, you're a little hard on Phantom. It's overrated. It's um, overrated, but, but I understand like, that. But, but I like, want to say, but before we get to the bad ones, there are so many good ones, too. Because like, I actually think the movie version of West Side Story is great. Oh, it's excellent. The the first one they made in the 1960s. Oh, it won, so it won Best good. Picture. It's, it's so a great and adaptation. And it deserved it. Uh, the movie of Grease is very entertaining. 
Granted, I, I think granted, Grease I, is over. Grease. Well, I hate Grease, but like I we can't deny that the movie is actually a very good adaptation of it, and it oh, is yeah. entertaining as hell. Yeah, it's really good. I just like, hate what it actually. Gre- I hate the musical. Grease is my Phantom. Well, I hate Grease too. So like, Grease is also my Phantom. <laughs> well, <laughs> Grease is just teenage Phantom. Yeah, the, like, the, the, the movie of uh, Annie is not bad. Like there, the original Annie. There are some. Yes, not the Jamie Foxx one. No, uh, Jamie Foxx it, one was not good. It. There are movie musicals out there that are good because they. Have you ever seen live action Guys and Dolls? No, actually, I've not. That one's actually very enjoyable. I've heard it's. It's a little good, weird. Yeah. It's a little weird, but it's very enjoyable. Yeah, like they, they, they. they they got Rat they Pack have, members in there. So they like, have certain things that... <clears throat> there are certain movie musicals out there that are good. However, once you start getting into the 2000s and the 2010s specifically, now they're just like, oh, let's make every musical into a movie. And that's not like, the way Into to go. the Woods. They made Phantom. They made, now making Dear Evan Hansen. They're making West Side Story again. They made The Prom, which was god-awful. Uh, they made all of these other movie musicals. And I was like, Why? And they're still making more. They just announced Wicked, and they cast Glinda and Alphaba. Like, why do we need a Wicked movie? I understand, like, people want, maybe want to see that because, like, oh, Wicked. Uh, but, like, you know what would be so much better? How about you record the actual show? And you do it the Hamilton did. What's wrong with that? Oh, God, it's so frustrating. But anyway, so the two movie musicals I really want to bring up, and I know the ones that Sean wants to bring up, um, one is an adaptation of a musical that I Same and director. Sean... Same director. Yes. One is a musical that Sean and I both love. The other is a musical that Sean doesn't love as much and I despise with all my heart. I'm, of course, referring to Tom Hooper's uh, adaptations of Les Mis in 2012 Tom... and Cats in 2019. Tom motherfucking Hooper. Tom motherfucking Hooper. Should be dragged out into the street and shot <laughs> like a rabid animal. Well, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but uh, that's how I feel about it. His I, biggest sin to me is breathing. Is that, no. Is that he beat out Fincher for director at the Oscars in 2010. His biggest sin is the fact that he continues... Social Network deserved to win, not King's Speech. His biggest sin is that he continues to breathe the same oxygen as me. Um... Yeah. But anyway, so he made Les Mis in 2012, Ugh. and very ambitious, I'll give him that. Because if you don't know, Les Mis, he wanted everything to be performed live. Which is and is not the greatest blunder of the film. It's like, you want if okay, it goes back to what you said about just, Ham, about why Hamilton was great. If you wanted it to be live... Perform it like a musical, not a movie. Watch if, literally any of the concert versions of. Lumis. If you have, if you have your actors doing live takes for eight, nine, ten, eleven hours a day, the same five-minute scene, over and over and over. Guess what? They're gonna give out. Their voices will be lost. They will be dehydrated. They will be injured. You, not many people know this. You can injure your voice by singing too much. Mm-hmm. That's why professional opera singers or professional music, professional performers in musicals, will sometimes take vow of silences the week before opening night. I didn't do that. Yeah, you've told me you've done it before. There's a reason for that because you want your voice to be in the perfect condition for that for that kind of thing. Because vocal vocal performances are a form of exercise. It is a form of athleticism. You mess... I mean, like, I sound like crap right now because I've been a head cold for the past month. They're your instrument. 
Yeah. You are your own instrument. You are your own. I wouldn't take my trombone and baseball bat that thing into the street. You wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want to run a marathon if you're not prepared. Same thing. You're not going to sing for nine hours a day for for like 180 days of filming. And the fact that there the, there's so many actors that didn't co- walk away with lifelong injuries from that set were ridiculous. Not like they had like actual injuries, like 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 getting dropped from heights or like stunt performances. No, no, no. Like for example, Hugh Jackman lost like a hundred pounds to play. Uh, like the lead in that musical, good amount of weight. So did Anne Hathaway. So did Anne Hathaway. They lost like ninety pounds over the course of two weeks, which is not healthy. It is not at all. They starved themselves. They dehydrated themselves. It was ridiculous. The whole point of a musical is you don't need to be one to one. If you're if you're if you're if you're playing someone like Jean Valjean, who was a prisoner in the first act, who was decrepit and an old man, and all that. Guess what? You wear a baggy prison uniform and put dirt on your face and get a makeup specialist to fuck with your hair. I've been on a bad mood for this one. But, like, the thing is, you don't shred yourself by 90 pounds to look malnourished. Because guess what? You are now malnourished. <laughs> you you are in danger of dying. Oh, whoops. And that's, that's just the physical gripes I have with this. Anne Hathaway gives a a not so good performance of uh, uh, I Dreamed a Dream. You wouldn't know why. You're, she's crying. Now here's the thing: <clears throat> in theater, crying can be used to accent a performance. But guess what? There's a way to cry that actually is correct in theater. There's a trick you can do to actually like loose your tear ducts, but only your tear ducts. Because when you cry, a chemical that your body makes secretes all of the liquid in your head, which includes your mucus. And like how I sound right now, I'm a little gravelly. You wouldn't know why? There's mucus down the back of my throat as I'm recording this. You wouldn't know what you can't do if there's mucus in the back of your throat? Sing well. Sing well. (laughs) There's a reason why Anne Hathaway sounds like she's dying. It's because she is. (laughs) She is 90 pounds less healthy and is coated her vocal cords in mucus. That's why she sounds like she needs to be put out of her misery during that song. But you said something very interesting. You said that Anne Hathaway gave a bad performance of I Dream Your Dream. And while I agree, I also don't. Because here's the thing about Les Mis that is my problem with it. And I've heard a lot of people defend this movie. Les Mis is a musical. Les Mis is almost fully sung through. Like, completely sung through. I think the most important aspect of a musical is the music. Especially when the music is the entire goddamn thing. Yes. Now, I know where you're going. Anne Hathaway's acting, and Russell Crowe's acting, and Hugh Jackman's acting, are fine. They're giving, they're emoting, they're doing a good job. It's fine. Their singing is horrible. It's so goddamn bad. And it's almost incomprehensible sometimes when you're hearing certain musical themes or musical motives that are thematically important and you can't tell what the hell they're singing because they're pretty much screeching. They're like... They're screaming. And it's like, why? So when I hear they're people, in pain. When I hear people defend this as a good film, I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah, the filmmaking... Yeah, visually, but it's a really nice film. In again, same thing with along the lines of who? What would you rather watch, the animated live a Lion King or the live action Lion King? Same thing. Would you rather listen just the soundtrack, not the movie, just the soundtrack? In what right world would you ever listen to the soundtrack of this movie <coughs> over any of the concert versions, any of the Broadway recordings, any of the West End recordings? There are so. Why many would you good ever recordings. pick this movie? There's so over many that. 
It's so it's so bad. And like I I uh, there's another there's I'll say this before we move on to cats. Huh. And then we we got we got to start wrapping things. But like there's one the the biggest cardinal sin this movie does to me in just a singular moment of actual film. Also it adds a song by the way. It adds a song which uh, stop adding songs. But um <laughs> so, so does cats. So. Cats, cats has many more problems than adding a song. But there's one awful moment when Jean Valjean decides to take on the revolution or whatever. There's this famous scene where at the end of his song, as he rips up his parole ticket. Oh, at the beginning, it's soliloquy. soliloquy yeah. The soliloquy, when he rips up his parole ticket, he rips it three times. And it's in conjuncture with a flourish from the orchestra. Bum, and each each hit, he rips the paper. Mm-hmm. What does Hugh Jackman do? Not he that. acts like a feral cat and just scritches it all up and throws it off a cliff. <laughs> and the worst part about it is the orchestra is still doing the flourishes. Those are literally cues that you had playing in your ear via headset. Well, and also because they had to, since they were performing live, they had to like soundproof the whole set. And they had the score being played in their ear. And some of these actors were taking a lot of li- like liberties with the melodies. And so it wouldn't be an exact... Liberties. One to- it wouldn't be an exact one-to-one copy with how it's supposed to sound. So they would have to like adjust the timing of the score to match with what the actors ended up doing. Because Which- they were performing it not because of, not based off a track, but a live acting decision, which is fine, but it makes for a shitty listening performance because now the orchestra is so out of whack with what's happening. The orchestra, the the actor, the performer conforms to the orchestra. The orchestra does not conform to the. But to in the, the case performer. of this, that exactly. And that is just happened. a cardinal sin of orchestration as music as a whole. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. Which brings me to cats. Ugh. Every second of that movie is fundamentally broken by the fact that the orchestra and the and the actors are not in sync at all. Here's the here's the weird thing. I knew that this movie was going to be like horrendous. Well, like, yeah, it's I think nightmare ev- fuel. I think everyone knew that this movie was bound to be like one of the worst things ever made, and yet it still found a way to surprise people. To be worse than you thought it was going to be. Like, how the hell was this movie? At all, first of all, greenlit, and second of all, how did it end up being so much worse than we ever anticipated? Yeah, because uh, Cats is Cats, really bad. Cats is cat. The movie version of Cats is a crime against humanity, and I will say this: now you actually don't mind the musical, though. I actually like the original mu- musical of Cats, and I know that that automatically makes a lot of people hate me. But like, well, no, Cats has a pretty decent fan base. But cats has a decent fan base, but we're all weird. It. And the reason people hate it is because they're just like, oh, it's just horny cats, right? No, it's not. No, it's not. It might be a little bit, but it's not. Like the whole thing, Cats is the simplest story. Cats has virtually the simplest story on paper. All the cats are part of a cult, and one of them gets picked every year to go to a better life. That's they're, they're, it. They're reborn on the heavy side layer, whatever the hell it's called. It's cult shit, but like, it's basically they all want a better life, and everyone's trying to impress the leader of the cult to pick them to get a better life. That's it. That's all you need. Here's the catch. In the movie Cats, they added a protagonist. Guess what Cats doesn't have? A protagonist. There's a point. Most musicals follow a central protagonist during a journey, right? Cats is unique because the entire protagonist is the cats themselves, the entire ensemble. Because the first act of Cats in theater, 
is just every character singing the song that introduces themselves and shows what their personalities are and why they want a better life. The entire first half of the musical is an I want song. And then you learn that there's one cat who's older who was actually kicked out of the club that needs to be reborn the most. But the cats do this thing where they show physical affection by touch. So the fact that this cat has not been touched, everyone shies away from her, is Sus. basically saying you don't deserve to live. Sus. And that's the cat that needs it most. And in the second act, the leader of the cult realizes this, and they single out that one cat who has been kicked out of the club after they give the great one of the greatest performances of a song in musical history. In musicals history. I'm referring <laughs> to the grandiose hit of Touch Me, Memory. Well, memory. Well, yeah, yeah but like a, the the line of "Touch Me" in in memory, the uh. song of memory, singing memory. That is the final catalyst to get chosen, and they're reborn, and everyone accepts her back into the club. And it's the melting sensation of being touched for the first time that moves people to tears. So, what did they do in the musical? They kicked that character to the curb, and they put a protagonist in. And the protagonist invites the the cat back into the call. We didn't need an extra character. You know, I was mad enough when Disney... Well, no, 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 no. Victoria <clears throat> is in the musical. Victoria is in the musical as a side character. Yeah. She shows up twice during the <laughs> entire musical, and you said, yeah, that cat that has about 90 seconds of stage time, well, it's because, she's well, no, the main it's character it's now. It's because Victoria in the musical is the one that is the cat that accepts Grizabella back into the Jellicles by doing the whole touching thing. And that's that is the character that is the one that almost breaks the 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 mm. feeling that oh yeah we maybe should let her back in because Victoria is very innocent very childlike she's not she doesn't have all this pent up emotion from all the past she's just seeing things she's very naive seeing things as they are and then Tom Hooper was like oh yes you're my main girl now yeah and that's a problem no cats doesn't have a main character and that's the point the main character is the jellicles by the way what is a jellicle we never find we never out know. because i hate this musical this is also i keep in mind this is also a timeline where dr seuss is a beloved author so like come on it really is though people like, need I, to I, stop that i just cannot understand how no one throughout the course of the production of this movie was like maybe guys <clears throat> maybe this is not the best idea yeah because when There's you so much when wrong you, when you look at this movie there's not a single sequence in the movie that was altered no that, that wasn't altered sorry it's, it's the performances just, are not good there's not a single musical number that is true to its original thing for instance i think one of the most badass songs in the original is the magical mr mistopheles magical mr mistopheles the, the 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 cool magician cat in the original is this godly arcane fey being Amongst the cats who can shoot lightning from his hands and he blows things up and he teleports around, what do we get in Tom Hooper's version? The shittiest sideshow musician who I would <laughs> mug on the street if I met in real life. <laughs> Literally, in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the original version, he descends from the heavens on a rope covered in magical light. What do we get in the film? He fucks up the same magic trick like eight times in a row during his own song. Man. It is not good at all. For the record, you have a lot more opinions okay. on this because you actually like the musical and hate the movie. I hate the musical and hate the movie, so it's fair. fair. I expected this to be bad. I expected myself not to like oh, it. Oh, I expected Tom Hooper was going to fuck it up, but I just didn't think he was going to do it that like, bad. It's just a gigantic miscalculation, and again, it harkens back to my thing about 
what's the point of making everything a movie when some things are just not meant to be translated on film? No. Who in their right mind ever thought that Cats would be a good movie? Cats is, at its core, an ensemble dance musical. Yes. It's a spectacle. It is a it, show. It is an experience, yes. not a film. Yes. The story is very bare bones. It mostly exists for the sake of, wow, look at this amazing achievement of theater. And seeing it live brings that to life. Seeing it on film, it takes away that complete sense of, wow, look at all these great dance numbers. Now it's just a bunch of people dressed up as CGI cats. Like, you know, and they look all... horrendous. Well, yeah, they look terrible. I would be less afraid if I met Cthulhu in real life than if I saw any of the cast members if, of Cats. If Judy Dench in... Cat was ever in my room, I would like I would just die. I would I would I would sooner I, stroke. I would sooner reach for the pocket knife on my nightstand and slip my own throat than even yeah. let that thing take a step closer to me. Like, but yeah, this movie, this musical's bad. It's a nightmare. Really and it's, throughout oh. Oscar uh, season, when I start doing my updates, I will give you my full reviews of a lot of these other adaptations of musicals because I am yes. going to watch Tick Tick Boom soon. I am going to watch West Side Story <coughs> when that comes out. But I hope oh. they're good. I hope they. I hope they redeem themselves. I really from, hope they're because man, movie musicals have been going through a rough patch. The Prom was really not good. Into the Woods was a total misfire. Like, what are they doing, man? I just hope that Tom Hooper never gets another job for the rest of his life. That's all I want. Cats is bad. Cats, cats. But yeah, when Hooper's it, when cats it comes to adapting, bad. I guess our main lesson for you, uh, parting wisdom: if you're going to adapt, or if really any filmmaker is going to adapt, get in touch with the original creator. Get in touch with the creator. Make sure you're making it out of passion, and make sure you and know what the hell you're doing. Because yes. there is only a certain number of mediums that can serve a story well, and if you come across something where you're like, man, this just isn't working then maybe this isn't the right medium for this story to be told. Maybe it's not. Some things are only meant to exist in the pages. Some are yes. only meant to exist on film. And some, some are, are only meant, meant to exist, to exist in the theater. It really just comes down to what making the, story, the right decision. Making the right decisions, knowing when and where to make those decisions, and just being smart. Yes. Just be smart. Know your source material, know your limitations, and think... Just question one last time. Should I be doing this? Yeah. And is my name Tom Hooper? And why is If cats? the answer to the first question is is yes, and the answer to the second question is no, then maybe you have a shot. <clears throat> and that's adaptation. That is, that is the art of adaptation. So our parting words is that, and also go see Dune. It's good. Yeah, go see Dune, by the way. Uh... And yeah, be on the lookout for our, throughout the week on Instagram. A lot of suggestions, a lot some of surveys, uh, surveys, some little things. We want to know. We have some things we want to do. We want to know what you guys want to see us do. Yes. Whether that's podcasting or even who knows, maybe some yeah. other ventures. But Sean and I want to say that we love you all. We apologize for the long uh, hiatus once again. Uh, be on the lookout though, because Sean's senior recital is coming up. I'm actually accompanying him, and we may be posting some clips on Instagram. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> I'll think about that. It's going to be fun. Uh, but yes, so be on the lookout for that. And as always, just remember that no matter how crazy life gets, everything is fine.